You are listening to the I Want to Speak to the Principal podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Milstead and William Jeffrey. It's where education is. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of I Want to Speak to the Principal. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcasts belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. The primary purpose of schools is for teachers and students to engage in formal instruction and learning. Before this process can successfully occur, however, there must be both a written and implied agreement between the two entities. Examples of these agreements may include the teacher will prepare daily lessons that will meet the diverse needs of her students, model high expectations that he or she has for each student, and be ethical and fair to all members in their classroom. Students may agree to daily attend class on time, arrive to each class prepared to learn, and be on their best behavior. But the most important agreement for students is to know and abide by the student code of conduct. All schools in America have a student code of conduct. This is the holy grail of each school. A section of this document fully outlines in detail what is acceptable and unacceptable as it relates to a student's conduct, appearance, and interaction in school. Student dress code is one of the most frequently visited rules for parents, teachers, students, and administrators. Although an overwhelming majority of students across the country comply with this policy, school administrators will admit that enforcing the dress code can create huge challenges daily. Students that defy the dress codes have stated that it diminishes, marginalizes, and flat out shows disrespect to their individualism. In today's episode of I Want to Speak to the Principal, we will address issues with policies relating to dress code. How is the dress code established in the school district? Does the policy take into account specific students' culture, background, and religious beliefs? Why is it important to have a student dress code? Should there be exemptions to the dress code? What is the role of the parent in ensuring that students dress properly for school? These and other questions will be answered today in this episode of I Want to Speak to the Principal. I want to welcome Mr. Jerry Monroe to our program. Jerry Monroe is an educational advocate. He has been working to advocate for students in the Houston area for a while now and mr monroe welcome to i want to speak to the principal hey thank you man i appreciate it great you've been working with this family the arnold family through this process for a while please shed some light on how you began to advocate for the arnold family and if you can just shed a little bit of insight on how the family is holding up i um i saw this story on i was on the isaiah factor one night and i sent isaiah a text and told him to get me in touch with the family and uh, he did that and then I met the family we talked about it you know how could I help them with this situation and we agreed that I would help them with the situation um, as far as how they're doing now of course DeAndre has been moved to another school 
because it, he was a senior and he couldn't lose his seat time. Yeah. You know, seat time is when you are. Uh, doesn't matter what what grade you have in the classroom, but if you don't have enough hours in in the classroom, then you can actually flunk the class. Right. You can get an eye on or an incomplete. Right. So of course he had to be moved for that purpose. But at the end of the day, there's still other kids out there that are being discriminated against with this same policy. Gotcha. There are several school districts in the state of Texas that are similar to the policies of that of Barbers Hill. What do you think should be done in the community to make these policies more inclusive and more reflective of the cultures that is in Houston now? I think it's bigger than just schools. It's in the workplace also. So what we need to do is we need to get with our elected officials to get down to Austin and, and pass some legislation to get this discriminatory practice that's being employed by these school districts, get it changed. So that way, you know, kids don't have to deal with that. I mean, because you have black kids and white kids dealing with it. It's not only is it racial, it's sexist. So we need to pass some legislation to get this done, similar to what California did last year. Gotcha. That was what we alluded to is that California passed the Crown Act. Thank you for just bringing that out. What could have been done differently in the situation concerning DeAndre's interaction with his school district? Well, one, I think that uh, mom reached out. I know for a fact that she reached out to the superintendent as well as to the school board members. There could have been dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you can sit down and look at a problem, you can find a solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. But they didn't want to sit down. I mean, they run the good old boy system out there. And it was like, okay, well, we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to do anything. So that's what forced our hands. Because if they didn't want a dialogue and, okay, well, we just, he can't come to school. You know, we'll suspend him the whole nine yards. But we kind of knew how to play the game. So, you know, I think if there would have been some conversations about this, we could have came to an impasse. Gotcha. How is DeAndre holding up? I'm having to change schools in a situation like this. DeAndre is doing fine, matter of fact. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a fight. But DeAndre is actually doing fine. He's moved to his other school. They accepted him. Doesn't have to worry about his head. He'll get to go across the stage with his locks not being cut. So I think in his mind, he's accomplished his goal, regardless if it was in Barber Hill or the new school that he's going to. He's accomplished his goal, which was not to cut his locks because he didn't have to cut them. It didn't interfere with the educational process anyway. Hey, man, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak to Principal. Let us know where can we find out more about you? Where are you at on social media? I'm on I'm on Facebook. I don't I do not do Instagram and, and Twitter. I'm strictly on Facebook, so it's easy to find me. You know, just look for Gary Wayne Monroe and you can find me. Gotcha. If you need help, just reach out to me. I come running. Yes, sir. All right. Hey, Monroe, thank you so much. And uh, you have a great day. And thank you for coming on our show. No problem. Today on our show, we're more than happy to have an ex- and a pundit in the field of education. A gentleman that I have known for almost 25 years. He has been an administrator at both here and Texas and in the great state of Georgia. And that's my good friend, Dr. Leroy Sublett. Doc, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Dr. Nielsen. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. Doc, we're going to start this section now by just allowing you to give a little background uh, about yourself uh, as it relates to education. 
Okay. I have over 25 years in the field of education. I've served as a teacher, counselor, assistant principal, and principal at the elementary, middle, and high school level. I've had two stints in central office where I was an executive director over online learning and also as a special ed coordinator. On the side, I've been doing for the last 11 years teaching online for Grand Canyon University and Georgia State University here in Georgia. Uh, also, um, you know, education was my first choice. I started out uh, in criminal justice. So I used to work in law enforcement for a while, uh, being a parole officer, because I had one aspiration one day to kind of be a CIA, FBI agent. But hey, education was my calling, and that's where I've been, and I've been enjoying it and loving it since that time. That's great, Doc. You said that uh, you had an interest at one time being an FBI and CIA agent. I tell you, in education, you got to kind of be both of them sometimes. Particular, yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, particularly <laughs> when you you're dealing with uh, with with kids. Doc, thanks a lot for giving us that information. Uh, Doctor Subler, I know you're familiar with uh, the uh, the news items that have been coming out of Barbers Hill, Texas, where the student has been denied the opportunity for graduate based on his the uh, length of his hair. And so mm-hmm. our, our our topic today is dress code. So we want to have you just share some of your thoughts about dress code. I'm just going to ask you just a few questions. And if you could okay. just uh, give me your thoughts on that, we certainly would appreciate it. So Doc, okay. I'm going to start okay. off by asking you, what, what's your philosophy on school uh, students' dress code? My philosophy on school's dress code really depends on the culture and makeup of the school that you're working in with in the community. Because each school that I've had the pleasure of uh, working at as a teacher or an administrator, um, each school has its own unique culture. So even though there may be a district mm-hmm. code of student conduct as it relates to what the district is saying students should be wearing or dressing in terms of attire, mm-hmm. there's also a cultural makeup because each community has different uh, nationalities and people live within that community. So within that, there are certain cultural things because our, our country is diverse right. that you have to also recognize in terms of that. So my philosophy of that entails is trying to be respectful of everyone's culture and, and different things in terms of that. As long as addressing the attire and things we're doing is not disruptive or distracting, mm-hmm. but yet respectful and upholds our school core values, because within the school, you have some school core values That's that great. sometimes are different from the district core values as it relates to your school community. Mm-hmm. As long as it's like that, then my philosophy is one where I'm I'm welcoming and receptive of that because, as you know, each and every day, you get different types of students, different types of cultures moving into your school community and your neighborhood, right. and you have to be able to adapt and, uh, and address that and help your students to embrace those differences as, long as, as well as your parents and community. Yeah. Speaking of parents... Dr. Subley, should parents have input into the school's dress code? I think parents uh, should have some representation when we're looking at dress code and trying to decide what things that we may want to keep on or take off of a dress code. So I think having some representation from parents when making certain decisions, whether it's in the beginning phase when you're planning it or if you're trying to revise something to add something to it, but allowing that input that lets people know that you are including the, uh, the community aspect or the parent aspect of being a part of a partnership so that they have some kind of uh, input within that. Because uh, when I think about the latest thing in the news, I think from my recollection, what I heard on the news, you have to correct me, I believe they had a longstanding policy that might be a little bit old. So they might, they might want to kind of tweak that because just because it was uh, good in 1960s, 2020. <laughs> a lot has changed. Right. Well, I tell you, Doc, you kind of lead me in the direction that I was going because my next question was, 
Should there be uh, limits to school board trustees? Uh, yes, sir. And not only do I believe there should be a limit to school board trustees in terms of them serving, I think, uh, I think it now needs to matriculate on to state uh, legislature and state senate positions, governorship, uh, your uh, senators and, and house of representatives as well. Because I believe sometimes when you're trying to get a new fresh idea, then people are still stuck in uh, sometimes what we call the stone age time. Sometimes you need to have fresh ideas where people who have been out there in the trenches are actually living it and actually tell about the different things that need to change in terms of uh, dress code or culture or what may be going on in society. Because sometimes some of those people are uh, are displaced from it or right. haven't experienced it, and so therefore you can't you can't you can't preach to it or talk about it when you are not actually out there in the trenches living it and experiencing it every day. And that's a good point. And the reason I was going that because in this case in Barber's Hill, I noticed that one of the trustees had been on the board since 1966. That would have Whoa. made <laughs> him a board member for what some 54 years. And, yeah. Uh, and that's a long time for to be in a spot and to be cognizant of the change that has happened. So if you've been on there since the 60s. Right. There's been so much change in uh, culture in terms of people and community and dress attire and everything in the, in the whole world in terms of different people in different leadership positions. Things are happening around the world that you just cannot take a blind eye to because with today's technology, you're exposed to it you may try to close yourself off from it, but the reality of that is the world in which we live. So Doc, in all of your years in education, have you ever known a, a, a board member to exist on the board for that length of time? No, sir. This is the first I've ever heard of any board member serving on the board that long. <laughs> I would think after a while, you, you it, 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 if, if they are having elections, hopefully that person would have been defeated by somebody, but somebody would have wanted to step in and, and Got a challenge for that spot over the years, but mm -hmm. goodness, no, not, not that length of time. That's a long time. I also noticed that on that board, they had one member that had been there since 2002. I think another had been there since 2005, and another 2007. Barbers Hill set actually sits between Baytown and Houston for the most part. Okay. And okay. so um, there, in that area, there um, there may be one or two other small districts. Uh, but I think the the next big district would be Bay, uh, would be the Baytown district, and then I know there's North Shore, it borders North Shore also, if I'm not mistaken. But Doc, I want to just move on because uh, we're coming up a little short on time. Should dress code okay. be applicable for, for all K-12 students in the district? I know that most districts their 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 stance on dress code when they put it in the code of student conduct is supposed to be applicable to all grade level. However, in my experience, the only times I've had issues with is when the kids get to that preteen age around about fourth, fifth grade, going into sixth grade and on above where the dress code starts to kind of change. Right. A lot of times, sometimes kids are wearing attire or changing clothes and the parents don't even know they change the clothes when they get to school. Right. Sometimes you have, you have those kind of things that are going on. But uh, never really had challenges with it with the lower, lower grades with because parents usually dress their little pre-K, kindergarten, first grade kids in more uh, traditional conservative type clothing that's not uh, causing a distraction to right. 
the environment in terms of what kids are aware of today. Okay, good. Well, Dr. Sublin, as always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I always like sharing ideas with you uh, as it relates to education and other matters. Again, we want to thank you for being on our show. And uh, that's going to end our session with you, Doc. We'll be talking shortly. Thanks again. Okay. All right. Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Tweet, tweet, chat with us on Twitter. Be sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media channels. Want to see some more of us? Head over and meet us on Instagram. Big dollars. What's up? Is he in the room? <laughs> Is there somebody else in the room? Hey, the man stay in the room. The man stay in the room. Uh, hey, Dr. Milstead, yes, we're talking about dress code on this episode today. Mm-hmm. This was brought to our attention on several news outlets here in Houston, Texas. Right. KHOU.com, the Isaiah Carey Factor of Fox 26 News, mm-hmm. his show. And, I, and it just sparked my attention on this young fellow by the name of DeAndre Arnold. I have a couple of questions concerning, mm-hmm. you know, what do you feel about the issue? Mm-hmm. Why is dress code so important to schools? Well, dress code is important to schools, Will, because it is a part of the school's culture. That is a huge part. You know, you've heard the old adage, you know, the way you act, the way you dress sometimes. And so it, it's a huge part. It's important because it's a part of the school safety measures. You know, when all kids are dressed appropriately, you know, you can make sure kids aren't hiding things in their clothes. Or So it, it's a safety measure. That's that's one thing. It also provides routineness also. And one of the things about schools is that, you know, you want to try to keep things as routine and as common as possible so kids can know what is expected of everyone. And it maintains order too. You know, in the classroom, you don't want uh, folks, uh, kids dressed to the extent of wearing things that will distract uh, the learning process. There's a lot of reasons why dress code is so important. And not only dress code important in school, I mean, schools are a microcosm of our society. And so dress code is, is important in our society too. I mean, you don't go to a, a fine restaurant dressed any kind of way, nor do you, you know, you go to church most of the time, you know, you, you have on, you know, appropriate clothes and, and things of that sort. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of the structure. It's a safety measure, it provides routine and maintains order. Within the dress code, it seems as if that sometimes the dress code, even though it's a reflection of the culture, that it can turn out to be a cultural issue like it was in Barbers Hill ISD. Oh, yeah, it can be. Oh, absolutely. It could be that, you know, our society is so diverse today, and particularly in this area of Texas, where people are coming in from everywhere and they're bringing their cultures in, too. So what's happening is that a lot of times their culture is not really fitting into, may not fit into the beliefs, the norms and norms of that community. But all the kids still have to go to school together. So kids are bringing those cultures into the school. A lot of times teachers are very flexible and administrators where they understand that, but school board members are the ones that make the policies and a lot of times they don't understand it. And that's where the issue comes in, I believe. I hate to put you on the spot, but I just thought of something while you were talking. By people bringing other cultures into 
our school system. Mm -hmm. Is it our job as educators to have a flat Americanized culture? Mm -hmm. Is should, should we uphold the Americanized culture or should we promote the mixing pot in today's 2020 American culture? Well, one of the things that you, you uh, I believe in, in, in today's time, and I don't know how it used to be way back when, but I know in today's time as a principal, what I always try to do is make my my school inclusive. I wanted every student to feel a value and I wanted every student to feel like they were welcome. And not only just the students, but the parents too. And one of the things that we had to do is to learn to adopt and appreciate all cultures that come into the building. The school, like you said, it is it is a big melting pot and it also is a big learning pot too. We all learn from each other. And as we just said earlier in the, in the monologue, I mean, school, the purpose of schools is for teaching and learning. So if you're learning from another culture, then that can't do nothing but enhance your academic growth. So looking at where we are today, uh, DeAndre Arnold is no longer enrolled in the Barbers Hill ISD. Right. Uh, his cousin got suspended as well mm -hmm. um, for having long hair. Mm -hmm. We've had NFL players reach out to the young man saying, never cut your lock. Like, what could be done now to save face in this situation? Well, I think what's been done has been done. I think the parents did the right thing in moving the young man. It was very unfortunate because what they did is they disrupted his learning process. I mean, thing is, is that he was accustomed to going to that school. He had friends there. He had built relationship with teachers. From what I understand, he, he was an excellent student. But the thing is, is that the board was not going to change that policy. And because that's a policy, as I understand, that they just had put on a code of conduct. I think uh, it was one that when they updated that recently updated this year. Am I mistaken about that? No, you're right. That was recent. Look at the makeup of the board, percentage of people in the community that looked like Andre, and that was, they were parents were in a in a no win situation in my view. And so I think they did what they had to do to make sure that their kid was allowed to be himself and to represent to you know to have his uh, keep his in, his individualism also to, you know he didn't want to cut off his hair so the next thing was was to move him to another school that that accepted that I was just going to say, you know, this is a perfect example of the importance of why parents should attend board meetings. And so they can know what's going on with the board. They can at least know who the members are on the board. It's also, it's an eye opener, let parents know that they need to be voting in these board meetings also. You know, like I said, in this particular school district, you had three or four members that have been on the board, one since 1966. Now just think about how much power that particular person had on that board. Also think about the things that were going on in 1966 that influenced him then and is still influencing him now. And he's making decisions on kids in 2020. That's ridiculous. You got one that's been on there in 2002, which was almost 18 years, almost 20 years ago. One on 2005. Members should not have that lengthy stay on boards because they just, they're impacting you know, they're not connected to what's going on. I think in a lot of cases, not connected to things, what's going on 
with our students today. And like you said, the various cultures that are con constantly coming into that particular school district. I had an initial reaction to this because of the different cultures of the African-American. Right. Because we come from all parts of Africa. Exactly. There are people, even though Houston is now a bigger microcosm of the world, right. a lot more influx of different types of African-American or Afro-Caribbean or Afro-Hispanic has moved into the region. And just because your skin is dark, that does not necessarily mean you grew up underneath the Negro ancestry that that is traditionally here in right. uh, Texas. Absolutely, absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, and my son also too, although his hair is not long, his hair is in the process of getting longer. And so matted, we, we call that, in the culture we call that nappy. So, but what he does is he twists his hair. And so, you know, that could be an issue for him. Right. You know, as, and as a parent and as an administrator, you know, this, this story actually hit home for me. Right, well, I can understand. You know, my point is, is that you, you, as a parent, you don't want things to impact your kid. And then when it's too late, then you, you're trying to fight to get it changed, right. you know. And it's unfortunate this was the situation in, in Barbers Hill. It was just too late. And folks on that board, man, you know, they know. You know, they know once they put put a policy into the school board, that's gospel because they are they are actually voted on by community members. So they're representing the community. And so if they put it on there and there's no dispute and no one questions it, if they place something into policy and no one disputes or, 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 or questions it, then it's gonna become a policy. And a lot of times, like I said, it may not it may negatively impact, you know, students who may not look like who that board is composed of. Hey, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I Wanna Speak to the Principal. You can also leave us a message on Anchor and all those voice notes can be played into our next episode. So please interact with us. We're looking forward to hearing from you.